morning, church. Great to see you all. Thanks, Pastor Glenn. As Glenn was mentioning, next week we start the story. If you're not familiar, it is a book written by Randy Frazee and Max Lucado that highlights on a high level the narrative of the scripture in chronological order, starting with chapter one. It goes for 31 chapters. We have books and packages. If you haven't purchased your book, this is the time to do it. We'll sell you a book for $20 and then give you three books for free. And you can hand those to friends, family members, associates. Who have you been praying for? Who are you going to invite to come with you next week or to join us online? It's going to be a a great start. You need to pre-read the first chapter. It's 12 pages. 12 pages. Come on now. You can read 12 pages. And it's... And, and so you read ahead. So get ready. And you should bring your book with you. Bring your book with you next week. We'll be referring to some of the items on the pages there. There's, there are maps, historic maps. And we'll be referring to those. And so you'll want to have your book with you. Bring it with you. Got it? And now invite, invite somebody to come with you. And it's going to be a great, great experience. Let me tell you the number one attitude when you're inviting someone to church. Humility. Just be humble. You don't know all the answers. Nobody does. It's okay. You, but you can be friendly and invitational. And it's a, it's a powerful tool. Come with me. I'll, I'll, I'll pick you up. We're going to church. We're going to learn more about the Bible. And everybody's going to be learning as we go. Pastor said he's looking forward to learning. So it's going to be great fun for all of us. Hope to see you then. Today I want to finish up a, a, a message that a series that we began a couple of weeks ago on joyful giving, there is, a, there is a card near one of your seats that I'm going to be referring to at the very end. So if you have one close by, you can uh, get a hold of that and it'll be helpful to you, as I say, at the very end. Today, I want to rehearse an amazing story from the book of Exodus. This is Moses now. He's led the whole nation of Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. They've been there 400 years and, and in bondage as slaves, and now they're in the Sinai Desert. They are, they are now preparing to spend the next 40 years in this desert. So God gives Moses explicit blueprints for the building of a tent, a tent which will be the center of worship. It has walls around it, all, all fabrics and poles and very ornate, and a, and a huge tent in the middle. This is the, this, the center of worship. It's called the tabernacle. And so Moses calls on the people in the desert to give an offering to supply the materials necessary to build this, this extravagant tent, this place of worship in the middle of the desert. And this is the context from the book of Exodus. I'm going to read from chapters 35 and 36. If you have your Bibles, I'll begin in chapter 35 at verse 4. Of course, we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to recognize the authority of God's word by standing. So thanks for doing that as you're able. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. Then it continues on with a list of items. Then over to verse 20. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, for the sacred garments, 
All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, or the other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skills spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. This was the adornment for the priest. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Now over to chapter 36, verse 1. So Bezalel and Hileab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord commanded. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Eliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. Can you imagine? No man or woman is to make anything else as of an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Just one time in my life. <laughs> so may God bless us through the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now here in the book of Exodus, we see a move of God of substantial significance and power. It's an amazing moment. It was so strong and so profound that it reached to the core of the people's disposition toward God, toward one another, and toward the desert in which they live. It was, a, it was an amazing moment. Three things, at least, are made obvious in this passage of Scripture. Let me mention them briefly. They're on your outline. I'll put these on the screen. First, everything given was from a willing heart. Now note this, verse 5, chapter 35, everyone who is willing, 21, everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him, 22, all who were willing, 26, whose heart was willing and stirred, 29, men and women who were willing brought to the Lord. Do you notice a trend? There's a consistent pattern over and over again in this text where it indicates that the heart of the people was willing. Amazing. So this is, a, this is a willing heart. Here's the second thing made obvious by this passage. The people made a clear connection between the tabernacle, this tent they're building, and the God of the tabernacle. When the people of God meet with God, something happens. And the place where they happen to be with that encounter of God becomes a unique, special place. 
say it another way. Where the worship of God happens, it becomes precious to those who worship. To say it again, where God is experienced, people label as sacred. So wherever that place is. So they made a direct connection between the tabernacle and the God of the tabernacle. Here's the third thing that we learn from this, from this text. There's a clear connection between giving and worship, the worship of God. This is what the Lord has commanded, take an offering. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an offering commanded by the Lord. And so it is as unto him, the Lord's offering, verse 21. Verse 22, they presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Verse 24, silver or bronze as an offering to the Lord. Verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord a free will offering. So what do these three things mean? How can we make the application? And in particular reference today, I want to talk about how to live under an open heaven. How do you live in such a way that you know the blessing of God, the favor of God, the provision of God, the special presence of God is with you? How do you posture yourself so that you live under this kind of blessing? An open heaven, we, we might say. Here's what I think. When an individual or a church wants to move into this kind of level of intimacy with God, this element of God's blessing and presence, anointing, if you will, his favor. These three things are always present. Again, a willing heart, serving God, stewarding the resources of time and talent and treasure of God. This is not drudgery. This is not a duty. This is not a, I have to. Uh, this is, I'm not coerced. This is a willing heart. Second, there's a connection between the things of worship and the God who is worshiped. So in other words, when people live under an open heaven, they identify the reality that as they reach for some kind of special purpose or mission or objective for Jesus' sake, we're gonna plant a church or we're gonna send a missionary or we're going to feed the poor, or we're gonna build a recovery home. Any of these kinds of initiatives are, are simply the, 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 the projects that we engage for Jesus' sake. So there's a connection between what we're doing and who we're doing it for. So in this case, a connection between the tabernacle and the God of the tabernacle. So that what we give, we serve, we, we offer whatever resource God has given us as unto the Lord and the need gets met. You see, you see the connection. So we live our life as unto the Lord giving, receiving, believing, trusting, so that needs are met. This is always present with people who live under an open heaven. Now, the third thing is also true, that there's a connection between the giving and the worship. Receiving an offering is an act of worship. In fact, all of the things that you do with God in mind and his honor at stake is an act of worship. So when we come together for worship, that's an act of worship. When we love our spouse and our children well, that's an act of worship. When we do our work in our professions and we seek to develop skills that serve other people well, that's an act of worship. All of the, the routine activities of life can be perceived and should be perceived as an act of worship. So when you volunteer to serve around the church or on some 
special occasion in the community. This becomes an act of worship. So spiritual vitality in stewardship and the management of resources, the, the, the revival kind of response that you see in the desert here, we might describe it today in our context as living under an open heaven. The way this is achieved is through a willing heart and a connection between the place and the God of the place and a connection between giving and worship. Now, that's one side of this that I want to establish as, as the place from which you stand and practice so that you can live your life with God's favor and blessing. But wrong motives can also be identified. Let me give you some examples of this. These are all true stories, either from my life or people I know. For example, giving with the wrong motives could be a man who offers land to the ministry because he wants to be able to see the church building from his kitchen window. This happened to a friend of mine. He was offered 10 acres to build a new church, and the farmer wanted to get credit for that, and it was a generous gift. The land was highly valued, but my friend knew that 10 acres wasn't going to be enough, and so he respectfully declined. Well, that's, that's really not enough land to satisfy what I believe God wants me to do. And of course, people got upset about that. And the farmer was upset about that and started complaining to the denominational officials. And, and so the officials coerced my friend into accepting the land, fine. So he receives the deed for these 10 acres and then holds it until 40 acres in a better location with more elbow room for his vision came available. And so he sold the 10 acres as a down payment for the 40 acres. <laughs> yeah, you laugh. You weren't there. It's the businessman who annually paid the church's utility bill to soothe his own conscience. This happened to me in, in the church, the small church that I pastored in southern Indiana was when I was in grad school. And I learned the first year there. And now picture me, I'm 23 years old. This is my first experience in a church, and I'm told that at the end of the year, Mr. Businessman finds out the shortfall that the church has for, in its budget that year, and he writes a check for the difference. And so you'll need to go to his office, Pastor, at the end of the year once we get these final numbers and report to him what our shortfall was, and he will pay you. And apparently this had been a routine for many, many years. And so when we sat in a board meeting in that church, no one ever fussed about the budget or making the budget because, you know, businessman will pay it at the end of the year. I thought that was terrible. Picture me now, 23 years old, I go into this man's office and his, the way I remember it, it's been a long time ago, that his desk was so big I could barely see across it. This huge mahogany desk in this guy's office. It was so impressive. And he's sitting in this big chair. And I sit down in the side chair, you know, in front of the desk. And I remember sitting down and just sinking. <laughs> I'm a pretty tall guy, but I could barely get my nose over the edge of the desk to talk to him. And he said, I suppose you're here <laughs> to collect the shortfall. I don't think I handled it as well as I should have. <laughs> but basically I said, you know, you can't, you can't buy God's favor. You can't. Not with money. Are you kidding? Not with money. 
No, you can't make deals with God. So no, I'm not going to accept your check today unless you come to church and bring it yourself in the context of a worship service so that you will be with the community in faith and hear the word of God and, and pray the prayers of God and be part of the community of faith. You can't sit here behind your big desk and just write checks and think you've got an okay relationship with God because that is not the way it works. And by the way, if you think you can do that or you've made some other deal or arrangement with God, you are also confused. God doesn't make any deals. He's the deal. You do it his way or you don't do it. Boy, he's so feisty. It's the woman who got incensed that the church would spend millions of dollars building a building like this just for teenagers. I can't imagine why we would spend so much money for a bunch of kids. Not realizing her own sin of judgmentalism, selfishness. It's the woman who donated a small organ to the church but kept the key. This is a true story. Not from here. She originally suggested this would be a security measure. It turned out to be a nightmare of control and interference. The pastor wisely gathered a few men and returned the organ to the woman's front porch. Perfect. The exact perfect response. In Exodus 35 and 36, it records an offering that is supernatural in its content and supernatural in its effect. This is like a revival in the desert. It's amazing. And it required supernatural trust. I mean, stop and think about who these people are. These are folks who for generations have been in bondage. They have nothing. They own nothing. They have rags for clothes and barely enough to eat for 400 years. When they're extricated from Egypt, God miraculously allows this to happen. And as they're leaving Egypt, Egypt actually gives them whatever they want. The Pharaoh's notion was, get out, take what you want, just leave. And so they take all the spoils of Egypt with them. So the, for the first time in generations, here, here are a bunch of Israelites who have nice things. They have nice linens. They have nice fabrics. They have precious metals. They have special perfumes and spices for the first time. This is, this is the gold that they've taken from Egypt, and now they're in the middle of desert. But think, with no hope of more precious things to come. Where are they ever going to come back in contact with this kind, of, this kind of asset, this kind of resource? So God expresses a supernatural level of trust. And these men and women, when Moses announces, we've got to build the tabernacle, we've got to outfit the priests, we've got to create the anointing oil, there are, there are utensils to be, to be made. It's going to require a lot of resource. And so people go running to their tents in order to give to this offering. Their attitude was, God, I thank you that what you gave me comes from you and I don't have to grasp it tight to my chest. 
I can let go of it and release it because you're the God who can supply. If you can give me the wealth of Egypt, you can also care for me in this desert. You are a faithful God and capable of caring for me no matter my circumstance. That's where our name in goes in the sermon. Look at this statement on the screen. As long as your hand is open, God will bless. The moment your hand goes shut, God will close the miraculous flow to your life. So the revival power of God, the spiritual vitality of, an, of living under an open heaven in the flow and blessing and favor of God in your life happens as long as we refuse to clutch and call our own those blessings which God has given us. In the desert or the times of abundance, remember that God who has supplied our needs in the past will supply our needs in the future. Amen. Praise God. That's the way it works. So there is a joy that can come to your life where there is, where there, where there is giving liberally, generously, cheerfully, with no strings attached, without making any demands, which gives unguardedly, openly, and at a supernatural level of generosity, this is a gift of giving which everyone should appreciate and pray to receive because it creates an open heaven. Let me give you three categories of giving. Here's the first one I'll put on the screen. It's the gift of giving. Romans 12.8, Paul wrote to the church at Rome, and he said, uh, there, there are a bunch of gifts that have been distributed to the people of faith. To each one of us have been given gifts. All of us, everyone in this room has a, a spiritual gift. You have, an, you have a natural capacity and ability. It's a, a talent. Uh, you're probably born with it and you've been developing it. For some of you, it's using your mind. Others of it's using your hands. Uh, others of it's, it's musical or it's artistic or it's athletic. There are these natural abilities. All of us have them. In addition to that, God supernaturally, spiritually, imparts to us gifts, which are often complementary to your natural abilities, but they're supernatural in their effect. It's, it's an amazing thing. One of those gifts is, is the gift of giving. So Paul reports in Romans 12, 8, let everyone has the gift of giving, give generously. So what's the admonition if you have a gift of giving? Practice. And there are lots and lots of people at Union Chapel who have the gift of giving. Lots of people like that. And they give generously, lavishly, liberally, on every occasion, appropriate. It's, it's a great joy. Here's a second category of giving, and we might call this disciplined or structured giving. This is the category of the tithe. Tithe, of course, is one-tenth of your income. This is the biblical model, standard this is our faithfulness to give obediently and regularly and joyfully and God's faithfulness to see a stream of blessing follow our lives. Uh, people who give in a disciplined, structured way always give more than people who give haphazardly or occasionally. And, and as a result of that, this is one of the great secrets of financial blessings, one of the great secrets of living under an open heaven. When you give of your first fruits, first things, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and then all of these other things will be added to you. Uh, in the Old Testament, we hear that the whole concept or principle of first fruits, for the, so the first of your herds, the first of your crops, 
the first opportunity. And so we learn that this is a first place kind of religion that we, that we practice called Christianity. So the first of your day, you should spend with some prayer and meditation. The first of your week, you should engage worship either here in, on campus or online. Uh, the first of your income, the first of your social life and Christian fellowship and community. This is first place. And it's reflected in a disciplined, structured life of giving. Now, here's a third category, and we might call this revival giving or, or, or spiritually vital giving. In today's context, let's just call it open heaven giving. <laughs> this, is, this is such giving that is a manifestation of, a, of the move of God. Uh, that's what's happening here in Exodus chapter 35 and 36, and I hope you can appreciate this. Here, there is a dam break, if you will. The water of God's blessing and provision and, and anticipation and faith and hope that is occurring in the hearts and minds of the people of Israel, even in this desert, the level of expectation and faith is growing, growing, growing until it, it breaches the levee and overflows and just spills out into the whole nation of them. And so here this dam breaks and we see it expressed in worship and praise and celebration and giving. As I say, they're racing to their, out of their tents every morning. And, and, and the stuff they're giving is starting to pile up. The inventory is getting huge. And they're probably the least likely people in all the world to give away the things that are most precious to them in value. Yet here they are doing it. They gave, the tabernacle was built, the utensils were fashioned, the priestly garments made to the exact specifications of God. They continue to give in this this incredible open heaven, open window level of generosity. And finally, the elders come to Moses and they say, look, you've got to make them stop. This is too much. This is more than is necessary. So Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already given was more than enough to do the work. Let's pause and just appreciate that just for a moment. Just one time, Lord. This, <laughs> this, this living under an open heaven you do understand that, that it implies giving of resources, but it's a lifestyle that postures you so that the blessing of God will flow to you. Could I challenge you that this is an important category in relationships, the way we care for each other. Uh, it's the practice of preferring one another in relationships. This evokes the presence of God presence of God. Some of you uh, know the classic holiday short story from O. Henry called The Gift of the Magi. Beautiful short story. And here we have a young couple, young and beautiful and deeply in love. And he has as his prized possession in life, a family heirloom, a treasured pocket watch, which has been handed down to him. And her most prized possession is her hair, long, 
beautiful flowing hair. And they want to give to each other a gift that will express their love and devotion to each other. And on Christmas morning, they arrive with their gifts to the other. He has sold his treasured watch in order to buy combs for her hair. And she has cut and sold her hair in order to buy a fob, a chain for his watch. The husband gives from his heart the wife in submission to his frugality. It's the young man in front of an exclusive jewelry store holding a sign which reads, I can't afford a single ring in this store, but I love you. Will you marry me? She would be a fool not to marry him because she, is, she has seen clearly his willingness to give his heart to her. The Bible says a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. I've been married to the same woman now for our 45th year. She is the wife of my youth. She is my mentor. She's my friend. She is the best imitation of Christ that I know. She occasionally will say to me, what do you think Jesus would do? More times than not, she just says, well, this is what I would do. And as soon as I hear what she would do, then I know what Jesus would do. It's troubling. Yes, it's good, but not easy. She's great. I recently saw a little YouTube video of a couple celebrating their 80th wedding anniversary. He was 102 years old and she 99. They were standing there together and as they videoed this couple, they stood there smiling, holding each other, and they together recited John 3.16. Just together, looking into the camera, smiling. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Pretty strong, isn't it? Pretty strong. Contrast that with this tendency that too many of us have, this cold issue of withholding. You know, we measure it out so carefully, our love and affection and submission and our, our words and our generosity and our giving. So many say to God, okay, here's your tithe. You know, I hope you're happy. Pastor said 10%. Okay, here's 9.5%, 9.8%, there, 9.9%. There, 10%. I guess I'm a Christian now. Hope everybody's happy. No, no, that's not going to work. Wives, listen to me. Don't dole out your affection to your husband like GI rations. 
Husbands, don't withhold your affirmation and tenderness to your wife and your children. You want to live under an open heaven, that means you've got to open up, open up your relationship channels. Be generous, be lavish, be liberal. It's like drinking champagne, you know, from a woman's, from a woman's shoe. It is, I will confess, disgusting, but it also <laughs> is an affirmation, <laughs> symbol of your devotion. Yeah. So we place blockades to the Holy Spirit in our lives by the stinginess in our relationships. So we don't want to be that way. Too many people are living at the minimum, living on the margins. There's no flow. There's no blessing. There are people who are living at the minimum of God's blessing and the minimum of their potential of God's supernatural stream in their life. I'm just, I'm just here to say today that there is a place where you can posture yourselves where the windows of heaven will open up and it will create a flow in your life that is so great and so good and so gracious that you can't contain it. My wife, Beth, and I, I'm, I'm just saying we live under an open heaven. Our boys and their families live under an open heaven. We live, Union Chapel lives under an open heaven because so many of us do so personally and therefore corporately we do. It's, it's, just, it's just the way. It's the way it works. So the great reality of what I'm talking about now is, should you tithe? Well, yeah. Should you be obedient that way? Well, yes. Should you line up your life with biblical principles? Of course, we urge you to do that, to be diligent and faithful in the exercise of your Christian stewardship. That, I mean, that's a, that's a really good idea. But beyond that, beyond that, allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life. Let the wind blow. <laughs> Throw open the windows. You know, so many people just stand on the shoreline of the river of God's blessing and they stand there and they look at it. I'm just saying, jump on in. Come on out. Come on into the water. The water's great. Come out here. Come out here where it's deep. Let's do something deep, substantial, significant. Let's, let's trust God for big things. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God because there is no shortage of his supply, provision, and blessing when we live in an open heaven. So good. So stop living on the minimums. Stop standing on the banks. Launch out into the deep water. Let the wind blow. Let the rain fall. You know, pray, come Holy Spirit. I love my, my, my dearly departed brother, Evie Hill, Union Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California, who famously said, if God, if God can get it through you, he'll give it to you. And that's how you live, under an open heaven. You're a conduit. You're just a vessel through which it flows. It comes to you, it goes out to others. It comes to you, it goes out to others. It comes to you, it goes out to others. You're just, you're just there. You're just the conduit. God's eyes are looking for people who would just be this way. His, his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for people like this. And when he sees people like this, he goes, all right then. And he opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing that cannot be contained. I want to put on the screen is, well, let me re refer to this card first. 
If you'll pull this out and just look at it, we do this every year. If you're new to the church, then this will be new to you, of course. But this is something that we do because it encourages people. It affirms folks, and it also encourages people. You'll see on the bottom of this card, there's a little piece to tear off, and there are three boxes there that you can select, and I want, I want to challenge you to do this. I expect you to do this. Follow through on this. This will help you. And, I, I, and once you do so, I'll send you a letter this week just to encourage you further. And there are three options. The first is I will continue to tithe. That's the box Beth and I check. We check this every year. You've heard me say this out loud. I wouldn't be caught dead not tithing because it's, it's one of the keys to spiritual blessing. Why would you stop? So I will continue to tithe. That's many, many people in the life of our church. For others of you, you say, I will start tithing. You know, Pastor Greg makes sense. I want to live under an open heaven. This is, this is one of the conditions of opening my life in a trusting way. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. I'm going to start tithing 10% of my income. Now we have a, just, now this is not, listen, this is, I'm serious as I can be. We have a 90 day money back guarantee. If you're not currently tithing and you start tithing, after 90 days, God isn't meeting your needs. All you have to do is send me a text. Just get online, send Pastor Greg an email. Just send it straight to me. You don't have to talk to anybody else. Just send it to me and say, I started tithing 90 days ago and, and I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't pay my bills. God is not meeting my needs. All you have to do is tell me. I will go to the record. I will find out how much you've given to the church over the last 90 days and I will give you back every penny. If you have needs in addition to that, like you can't pay your light bill or something, I'll give you money for that. Can't make your car payment, I'll give you money for that. Because you're pitiful. So, so we will help you. So, so if you start tithing and it doesn't work out for you, just tell me, I'll give you all your money back. And money that you need on top of that. You think I'm serious? I'm serious as I can be. I'm serious as a heart attack. You think I'm just talking to a crowd? Come up to me afterwards. I'll look you right in the eye and give you the same deal. I'll give you my personal phone number. You can call me. I'll give your money back. I hear Jesus right now. He says, you go, boy. Because <laughs> as it turns out, God can be trusted. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, says the Lord, and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven. The last one is for perhaps many of you. I'll increase my giving. Maybe this whole idea is new to you. Maybe it's the first time you've ever considered it seriously. Maybe you just had a bad attitude about the whole concept of giving to churches in general or whatever. By the way, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need anything you have. Are you okay with that? I don't need your money. You're not my source. You're not even close. You're not even on my scale. I don't care. If you give or not, why would you say that? You know, the church needs money to operate. Listen, God is my source. You're not my source. Stop it. 
You stop that. I'll tell you the same thing I did to that businessman all those years ago. You can't buy your way into this deal. No, it's not about that. This is about your, your motives. This is about your heart. This is about your willingness. This is about your devotion. This is about your gratitude. This is about who you are and what you want to be in a God-honoring way. That's what this is about. So maybe you want to increase your giving with a view toward tithing. I can see myself tithing someday, but gosh, not in my current circumstances. So it's going to take me a while to climb out or to readjust my budget. Everyone's got a story. I get it. So this, this third option is I'm just going to give something or I'm going to give a little bit more than I've been giving with a view toward tithing. It may take you a few years to get there. It may take you 10 years to get there. I don't know. But this is your category. I'm going to increase my giving because I want to eventually get to that place where I know God wants me to be. And so you check that. Give us your name, address, and like I said, I'll send you a letter this week. Just tear this off if you fill it out here and drop it in the, in the box on the way out. Or easy, more easily, just use the QR code on the front and do it with your phone. It's a lot easier that way. But I expect you to do this. I expect you to do it. I challenge you to do it. Some of you, geez, I've done this 25 years in a row. Do it 26. <laughs> do it. It'll encourage you. Beth and I turned this in. I check we will continue to tithe. I put, we put it in, and I get, it comes to my desk, and I send myself a letter. It's really, the <laughs> letter comes in the mail. <laughs> Look, I wrote myself a letter. Fantastic. Now, let me put a prayer on the screen. I call this the open heaven prayer, and I want to, I want to read it to you first because I'm going to ask you to pray in a moment, but I don't want you to pray if you, if you don't mean it because, as you know, God answers prayer. So you've got to be careful about this kind of thing. But here's the prayer. There's nothing you can ask of me that I won't give. There's nothing that belongs to me. Everything in my life, I could say everything and everyone in my life is yours. Whatever, wherever, whenever, my answer is yes. That's the open heaven prayer. That's actually the standard for living in, under an open heaven. Most people will never pray this prayer. Too much. Can't do it. Can't imagine. Just not there. Okay. God will meet you where you are. But this is the open heaven prayer. This sermon's about living under an open heaven. This is, how, this is how you get there. There are no shortcuts. There are no other deals. This is how you get there. And I can tell you, it's a beautiful place to live. It's a beautiful place to live. It's a hopeful place to live. Could I invite you to stand with us? Now, if you're so inclined, let's pray, pray this prayer out loud together. You okay? We're going to do it out loud together, but don't pray it if you don't mean it. It's okay not to. It's okay. Are you ready? Let's do it together. Here we go. There is nothing you can ask of me that I won't give. 
There is nothing that belongs to me. Everything in my life is yours. Whatever, wherever, whenever, my answer is yes. And then the Lord says, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot contain. Amen.